Good evening. I'm glad you're here tonight. You've sacrificed your time to be here this evening, and I appreciate it a bunch. And I know that the good Lord appreciates us coming in the middle of the week and recharging as tight as our batteries, so to speak. <clears throat> we are on lesson three for our angels uh, and demons study. Tonight is a treat, I think, because everybody wants to know about what we're going to talk about, guardian angels. Everybody's already familiar. You've already got your mind set on what the guardian angels are and how they look and how they act, and I'll probably mess some of that up for you tonight when we go through some of this. But we're going to look at it and see what happens, because it's a general, kind of a, a general doctrine that, uh, oh, I wanted to remind you also, there's some handouts in the back if you've got those already. And tonight I made a special effort to underline the, the answers as we went through so you can have a little better chance of keeping up. I was told I went too fast for that. So, we're gonna, so if you see it in red and it's underlined, that's an answer on your sheet. So, And they're pretty close to being in order. So that might help you a bunch. All right, the general doctrine that we think about, that the world goes by, is each person is assigned a specific angel to protect and guard them. And we get that out of our TVs. We mentioned that in the very first lesson where Hollywood is, has primed us for that, if, if not before that. And we look at the paintings back in the, the Middle Ages and all those things are geared to this like this picture that you see up there with the with the uh, angel and the little boy, you know it's always a little boy because we go from uh, Matthew chapter ten, that our chapter eighteen, excuse me, in verse ten, and where Jesus himself said, "See that you do not do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven." And also, it's based loosely on Daniel in, in the, some of the passages there. So we're not assigned necessarily a specific angel, but according to what Jesus said, is there may be one. And I've got a question already. Go ahead. Daniel has 12 chapters. So Daniel only has 12 chapters, so is that supposed to be 1021? Could you say a little bit more? I forgot my hearing aids tonight. Was it 10 verses 13? Chapter 10, verse 13, and 20 and 21. Is that what you were asking? Oh, okay, so 20 and 21. I'm sorry. Verses. She's asking about the verses. Yeah, yeah. Verses. Okay, hopefully I got that right. It's chapter 10, verse 13, and verse 20 and 21. Uh, the passages in Daniel that we were talking about there. The Jews had kind of a, uh, that effect that they believed that everyone had an angel, a uh, personal angel. We see that particularly uh, with, with the scripture where Peter was released from jail by the angel and he came back to the house and he's knocking on the door and uh, what's her name? Not Rachel. Uh, starts with an R. I just forgot her name. She answers the door and she sees it's Peter and she slams the door back and runs back in and tells everybody that Peter's outside and they're saying, oh, it can't be Peter. It has to be his ghost or his angel. Yeah, at that time. Huh? Rhoda. 
Rhoda, that's it, thank you. I forgot, I couldn't remember her name. But Rhoda come back and told them all this, and they're like, what, you know, it can't be Peter, we've been praying all night for him. How could that happen? And to me, that was always a, a, a little sign of the Lord having a sense of humor. Because it, here's people praying, and they're, you know, oh, Lord, you know, got to take care of Peter. And Peter shows up, and they say, well, it's not him. It's got to be his ghost. He must be dead. That's what they thought of angels. They believed that everybody had one, and this was Peter's ghost that was making a personal appearance to them at the time. These particular referred to angels, as opposed to ordinary angels, seem to be more in contact with God's glory. That's what we kind of get out of Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, that they're closer to God, they're in the face of God, and since he referred to it as in younger children in that particular uh, verse, that we kind of attach that to being children's. But yet, how many people have gone through uh, some tragic event and said, you know, well, it must have been my guardian angel that rescued me, you know? Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. We'll have to look a little deeper and see what it says. But these particular ones were pretty much more in line to be able to report the offenses directly to the face of God. If something was wrong, they were they had the, the attention of God. They were right there in front, which made them kind of a special angel, that's for sure. Not just an ordinary angel, but one that has God's attention, one that God pays that listens to very clearly clearly and closely. We do know that the Bible says that we have servants, that they are servants of the saints. The uh, I wanted to go back here too and mention Daniel again. I think I jumped the gun a little bit, but uh, when Matthew or Matthew eighteen ten, Jesus addresses the care and the interest and the concern that all the angels have in the welfare of the saints, especially the smallest and most obscure. But we know from Hebrews that it says that they were they were put in charge to minister to the saints. If you are a Christian, you're a saint, according to the scripture, so they're ministering to you. Now, how they do that, that's going to be the big mystery we'll have to ask when we get there. But we do know that they are that's part of their job at the time. So it's clearly taught in the scriptures, and exactly how it's done, in each particular case, we don't know. Psalms 34, 7 gives a scripture that says they camp around the saints. That that's uh, I think I pulled two. Uh, I did. There we go. Okay, I got ahead of myself here. Uh, in Psalms thirty-four seven, they camp around. The next scripture is Luke twenty-two forty-three, where we see they came. The angels came and they ministered to Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was suffering. After the third prayer, it talks about them coming and and consoling him and, and doing what they needed. Because this was, if you remember how traumatic that w- event is when we read it, where the Lord was so emotionally torn up and facing what he was facing. He knew what was going to happen. And the sweat poured off of him as if it were blood. 
that he actually, they, they, I'm not a doctor, but I've been told that, they, you know, you can actually frown hard enough to break some capillaries and actually produce blood. We do know that when he was finished, God sent some angels to to uh, minister to him, to soothe him, to help him, give him strength to face what he was going to face in just a few hours. We read of the angels in Lazarus and the rich man, where uh, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, where when the when the uh, when Lazarus died, the angels came to carry him to the bosom of Abraham. This was a service for for one of the saints. It wasn't for the rich man. He didn't get carried by the angels, but Lazarus did. Hebrews 1 and 4. This was the one where I was speaking of where are they not all ministering uh, spirits sent to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? That ought to be a very, very big comfort to us. We may not know how it works. We may not know exactly if it's a guardian angel or if it's an angel, but we do know that some type of spiritual being is watching out for us, for at least for those who will inherit salvation. Marty? Verse 14. Verse 14? Oh, I'm going to have to get on my secretary. <laughs> Chapter 1, verse 14. Thank you, Marty. I've got one four in my notes. I should have looked a little closer. So if angels work for us, here's the question, then how is it we sometimes get hurt? Or we make serious mistakes? Um, I, I can go back over my history, and a lot of times I got hurt from being stupid. And it would have been nice to have an angel reaching on there and say, hey, you know, move your thumb. Because you know, that hammer is coming at it and get, get out of the way. That's just one of many, but we just see what I'm saying. We, we get hurt or we make mistakes. And if we had that personal guardian angel, what's he doing in the meantime? You know, where's my help here, guy? You know, this hurts. Uh, it was a stupid mistake. It cost me a lot, of, a lot of heartaches, a lot of money, whatever it might be. It's not there. They do have or don't have, I guess I should say, any power to override our free will. We're still, if we have a guardian angel or an angel that's watching over us in some way, state, or form, they have no power to override our free will. We can still go ahead and do something stupid, like I was saying, or something dumb, something something we know we shouldn't do. If the angels had the power to override that, it would be nice. But then what would the uh, element of choice be for us with our free will? They have no power to intercede unless they're directed by God. I think that's part of the key. They can't really move on their own. They can't just say, okay, well, we'll jump right in there and take care of this. They have to be directed by God to do something, not just on their own. So let's look a little bit at what the Bible says about it. And, of course, we looked at Matthew 18.10 already, where Jesus addresses the care and the interest and concern of all angels in the welfare of the saints, especially the smallest and most obscure. 
This is where he brings in the children. So it's not just the, the grown people, people that can make the choice, people that are um, that they're interested in just the ones in salvation. They're interested in all of us. That's one reason why we read, in, if you remember in the last lesson, where the angels would would celebrate when a sinner repented. They're happy when someone turns away from their sin. They repent for it. And they I don't know if they sing a song or if they dance a jig, just what they do, I don't know. But I do know that it says they rejoice, however that might be. Paul. Maybe just to clarify, just to understand on the last point you said that angels can't make any decisions or do anything on their own. Maybe to be more clear, would that be they can't do anything on their own without being directed by God if they're acting within his will, but there are still those that have chosen to follow Satan. They chose that, right? So they, they I mean, just, I'm not trying to sharpshoot you, I'm just saying, is that the point you were making? Within God's will, they can't do anything on their own? <coughs> so, so, the last part again. So, within, if they're going to act within God's will, then they don't do anything on their own. They're always sent. They're a messenger, or they're being told by God to do something. They can do that within God's will. But, technically speaking, they can make choices for themselves. They can choose to not for themselves, yeah. For themselves, they can do that. That's how they get Satan and his angels fallen. They've made a choice. They have the free will. We mentioned this before that they have the free will to make a choice on their own, but uh, they they don't do anything for us without God's direction. Okay, and they really they they don't uh, the ones that are still there, if I can put it that way, the ones that haven't fallen, as we call fallen angels. The ones that are still there are the ones that are doing what God bids. They're not uh, not taking it on. Pardon? With what you're saying, one one version I was reading about the fallen angels is that they they left their position of authority. And like you said, they, they had the ability to make decisions. That apparently they had free will. You know, there's just a little glimpse there. Of maybe one of the characteristics of, of angels. Yeah, that's right. And the, the, we mentioned last week that they have the free will to choose, but they don't have salvation plan, or man does. And this is what uh, what really uh, still, I guess, according to the scriptures, they question. You know, how come you wasted all this on mankind? We were right here. And we were pretty much willing to do what you wanted us to do, but yet if we mess up and we choose the wrong way, there's no uh, redemption for us. Bobby? We went to the Lord and asked permission to tempt Job. Yeah, sir. Uh, I don't know if you heard that, that uh, uh, Satan went to uh, God to ask permission to tempt Job. And I'm sure that he had permission to tempt the Lord if he had permission to tempt Job. We know that was happened. So, uh, Preston? You just made about the angels commenting that uh, we don't have the plan of redemption like humans. Where did, where did you find that at the Bible? I, did, I heard part of it. Could you tell me again? I'm sorry, I should have run my 
yeah. my age tonight. Oh my God. You had mentioned, if I, if I heard you right, you had mentioned that the angels had said something about, what about us? We don't have the plan of redemption like man has. Right. Where, did, where did you get that at? Uh, it's in First Peter, I think. I've got the scripture in it. I don't know if I can pull it up or not. Just exactly. But I will get it to you. Okay? I promise. Uh, I believe it's First Peter, might be Second Peter. Uh, let me look, look real quickly here. I won't take too much time. You said there were things that angels desired to look into. Yes, that's the that's one I was looking for. Is that Peter? First Peter. Yes. Okay, I was thinking it was, and I I don't have the exact scripture for you yet. But uh, well, then the Bible also say that. And First Peter is a short book, so it won't be too bad. Search. <laughs> Okay, it's uh, verse 12, chapter 1. And it says, to, to them it was revealed, not to themselves, but to us who were ministering the things which we have now reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which the angels desire to look into. Therefore, Greater up your Lord, he goes on and talks about uh, uh, how you should act in being holy. But this is where the, this, the, the angels were, were anticipating what, the, what God was giving to man. They were hearing it for the first time. He was giving it to man. And their, their problem was, uh, you know, uh, we, we just uh, kind of having a hard time with it. How come you would do that? They still had that in their mind, I'm sure. Because they're thinking, just like we would be, well, I'm living a good life, Lord, and you don't want... Uh, and why would you do something for the other guy over here that's that's a criminal and I'm trying to live a Christian life? You know, and why would you do that? And I think that's part of the, at least my reconcile. Preston, go ahead and I'll get you in just a second. No, please don't take me wrong. And I'm listening to what's being said and I'm looking at the passage. But I'm having a hard time stretching that to where the angels were... Uh, Longing to, or, or, or thinking, you know, they why does man have a plan of salvation and we don't? When it doesn't specifically say that. No, it doesn't specifically. That's that's my interpretation part of it. But it does say that they desired to look into what he was telling them, and what he was telling them was the plan of salvation. What we had. So, Bobby, or, uh, I'll get you just a second. We are receiving salvation. So that we can be forgiven of our sins and go live with the Father in heaven. The angels are living with the Father in heaven. They do not require salvation. Okay, good point. Paul? So Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 3 says, Do you not know that we are to judge angels? Or it even tells us that one day, I don't know how, I don't know in what it tells us that we will judge the angels. Mm -hmm. So I... Right, right now, their job is to serve the saints. Right. But then, like I said, First Corinthians tells you you're going to, they're going to serve us at one time. We're, we'll be over them and judge them rather than the other, the other way around. Second Peter, what? Let me give it to everybody. Second Peter, verse 4. First chapter. 
this will be both in Christ and by power. I wish to have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Is that what you look at? Second Peter, I'm in 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse 4. Oh, chapter 2, verse 4. Okay. In fact, I've even got that highlighted in mind. For God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down into hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. That's the scripture Becky brought up for us. And it's that maybe that helps us a little bit. Um, it reminded me when we was talking about the angels being cast into hell. This is probably the wrong time for this, but you know what the angels in hell all have in common? Hot wings. I'm sorry. I had to do it. Don? Through this and learning about the angels and what we know, what we kind of can glean from it, and what we don't know, but, you know, so we don't go beyond. I do find it interesting to know a little bit more about them in this class. Because I see that God doesn't, as we, we believe, that God doesn't just take the Holy Spirit and throw him on people and say, do you want to believe? He uses mankind to spread the gospel. And so he's taken that avenue to use us. He doesn't need us to do that, but that's the way he's chosen the avenue. And I find it really interesting that he's using angels in the same way. He doesn't need an angel. We don't want to glorify angels. He just wants to use them for an avenue because they're creatures he created. And so he decides, I'm going to give you a job. I'm going to give you these things to do. And this is how it's going to work. And we don't see it all, but I find it interesting that, that this is the way God works. He doesn't need his creation. He just chose to do it this way. And I just think it's neat that he does that. We don't want to glorify angels. We don't want to go above what they do. But we can see what you're, from what you're teaching us that he uses them some way to help us. And I just find that really interesting. Yeah. It's, it, be, it seems to me... The mankind was created for a different reason than what the angels were. The angels were there, like I said, they were they were there to praise God. For, but it, that's what He created us for. The is is to to glorify Him. That's our that's what we're here for. We're here to glorify Him. But if you think about it, none of the, you go back into Hebrews and none of the. Uh, where it says, you know, when did God ever say to one of them, you're my beloved son? When did God do this? Same way with us. When did God ever tell the angels, you can, I'll dwell in you? You know, but he told mankind, I, I'm willing to dwell in you. This, that's quite an accomplishment. And, and like I said, my speculation then gets on the fact where the angels got to be confused. And they got to want to look into this. Well, how come? You know, that's my answer is how come? Why? Uh, you know, why would an angel ask that? You know, that's, again, that's my opinion. It's not scripture. But I do really feel strongly that they are, you know, they wanted to see why. You know, we're here. We're right, in, right here in heaven already. What, why did you need to create some being down here that's going to turn this, majority of them are going to turn your back on you. And they're going to crucify your son if you send him down there. Well, what's what's the deal? Go ahead, press one more. No. I, I was reading in Hebrews where it talked about uh, Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. Mm-hmm. And then I try to keep that in context. So that we're talking about God in human form. And then I look back into Genesis where it talks about he created man in his image. So here is the image that God has created 
Now God has become that image that he has created. And that gives me one picture. I don't totally understand it, but it gives me an image. Then, when we look and see where Adam, God put him to sleep and took the rib and made the woman. And he got to see something similar to him made from him. And so he gets to see this image of what came from him. And then, of course, you know, God puts Jesus over heaven, everything in heaven and on earth. So he becomes Lord of everything. And so it, it's imagery, but yet it gives us an idea. But I don't know that we could totally understand. I think he just gives us what we need. And if we don't need to know it, he doesn't give it to us. There's a lot of it that falls under that category I call not enough information. NEI, and I use that a lot because there's not a lot of solid information, especially when we get in angels. We're, we're trying to dig every little bit we can dig out of it, so we'll, we'll go from there. Let me move on here and, and uh, give you some more questions to ask here in a minute here. So, again, this is part of what the Bible says. So look at the Bible, biblical examples in the context. Daniel, in the passages that we talked minutes, mentioned a minute ago, chapter 10, 11 through 13, they're about the, the national angels, if you can, I use that term loosely. But they were busy doing something over here, doing God's will, and they needed to come over and see Daniel. And we use that as evidence that they weren't omni, you know, omnipresent, where they weren't everywhere. They were over here, and then they came to him and said, I've been over here helping Michael withstand uh, some uh, some guardians of righteousness or help." You know, helping that aspect of it. Otherwise, I'd have been here a little sooner. You know, so we see that we have those examples. Acts chapter 12. This was the one I mentioned a while ago about with Peter, where the angels, uh, uh, in particular, uh, uh, the super, Jewish superstition, excuse me, uh, Peter in particular, they were they believed in angels, but they didn't associate the fact that they would it would be Peter and not his angel. At that time, so uh, do we have guardian angels? That's the big question. That's what we're really kind of wrapping up to. Do we have guardian angels in the general sense? I think we do, but there's a there's that little what is that? Whatever that is. Uh, I'm not an English teacher, so it's that little conjecture word or whatever it was that little but there yes but each individual particularly Christians having their own individual guardian angel probably not now why do I say that okay I the way my explanation and my brain works is I look at the, at the guardian angels if you can think of it in sports terms uh, it's it's not man-to-man defense. It's zone defense. I was with, you see, with David, uh, with Daniel, where the angel was over here, comes over to help out over here, and you know he's helping. Out, these are helping out here and there. So it looks more like a zone defense to me rather than man-to-man. And uh, that's so. Do we have guardian angels? I think we do. You know, I don't have any doubts that, that we don't have in some way, shape, or form. But my thought is more: it's zone defense if that makes any sense to anybody else. Uh, 
The angels caring. There's your one of your words there. It's underlined. Uh, but not we're not talking about guardian angels here. Jesus was ministered to himself twice, actually. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane we mentioned before, and where Satan tempted him in the wilderness. And after that, he was tended to. He'd been, been without food for 40 days, and he was hungry. So we're sure one of the things that they ministered to was to get, get him back the nourishment that he was missing, that he needed in order to survive. So we know we can kind of infer that, and and I don't think we're too far off. We know that, and that probably was not the only thing that they did, but that's something that we could be pretty sure after fasting for forty days. And if you think about uh, the the if each had an individual angel, I look at the furnace of fire, where uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in. Was that the phone or was that the bell? Okay, good. <laughs> I thought I'm in trouble already. So, uh, one angel ministered to three righteous men, because when when uh, Nebuchadnezzar looked into the to the furnace and he says, "How many people's in there?" He said, "How many we put in there?" They said, "We put three in there." He said, "Well, I see four. Okay, if they'd had an individual, they'd have been six. If you think about the three guys, each one of them having a having a guardian angel." that was there on call, but if it had one like in his own defense, maybe it you know, would work that way. So that's just, uh, again, these are kind of my perceptions, and if you have a different one, it's just fine with me. You know, we, we can agree to disagree. Manoah asked, who is the angel of the Lord? And we think of that sometimes as being that guardian angel. Uh, Manoah, if you, if you don't remember, that was Samson's daddy. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and he, uh, uh, in Judges 13 is where that's at if you want to look at it later. Uh, he wanted to ask the angel of the Lord his name. He, he was curious. He said, you're bringing me the, a message that, that my son is going to be a Nazarite. And, and uh, you know, we, we're curious as to, you know, who are you? Where'd you come from? What's your What's your name? And the answer is in verse 18 of Judges 13, where the answer said, it was wonderful. The name was wonderful. Does that sound familiar from something else? Like Isaiah 9-6, where Jesus would be called wonderful, counselor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He had all these names, but one of them was wonderful. And that got me thinking, which I know some scholars have thought, uh, was the angel of the Lord Jesus? Was he here in spiritual form? So we're going to look at that a little bit too. We do know a couple of things about the angel of the Lord. There's the wonderful. And wasn't one of Jesus' title. Okay, I got that. 9-6, the angel of Jehovah. Sometimes it's called the angel of Jehovah. Sometimes it's called Jehovah Lord or the angel of the Lord. All three of those fit the same spiritual being, whatever it was. But the angel symbolizes or seems to me as to be singular and important, a very particular angel with that word the. And there it really says, okay, this is the guy. You know, 
this is this is the man for president. This is this is the guy we want for uh, 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 the high court's judge. You know, they put the the in front to emphasize the fact that this particular angel is very deserving of special mention in the study of angels. Yes, Preston. So in teaching this class, you're trying to present how the Bible shows us angels. And I keep thinking about what God has shown us. He talks about Paul and his thorn in the side and tells us, my grace is sufficient for you. And I think about Jesus came and set the example for us on how to live in that how much was angels involved with that. Yeah, there were angels involved, but ultimately his example of forgiving and seeking and saving the lost is what we are supposed to take note of. So from that, seeing what's most important, but yet we get to see these glimpses of angels and of God's beings, what do you, in studying this class and preparing this class, see that how do you boil this down? What's your conclusion? Kind of like Solomon. He's done all this stuff. He's been rich. He's, he's had God's blessings. But he sums it up as God's duty is to serve God. Kind of after you boil this class down, kind of what do you see? I don't, I don't have my conclusion yet. I haven't got there that far. As far as as what my conclusion, I'm just trying to go through what uh, what is of interest to to most people, and that's what I was trying to do at this particular point. So, some translations say "angel of the Lord," but they Matthew says that this angel of Jehovah speaks with the authority of God. Matthew seven twenty eight and twenty nine. Is identified with the pillar of fire and the cloud that led the Israelites. Exodus 23, 20 through 23. Said to be able to forgive sins. Again, that's in Exodus 20, 23. Now, I remember the Pharisees having a hard time with Jesus forgiving sins. What gives you the right? Who are you that you can deliver, that you can can uh, forgive sins? Well, Exodus talks about that uh, this angel of Jehovah could forgive sins. That's something to think about as we go along here. Joshua 5, 13 through 15 talked about worshiped and bowed down to the angel of Jehovah. And yet in Revelations, we see John was told not to worship an angel, but to worship God. So I'm going to give you some things to think about here as we go along, I hope. The implication was definitely that the angel of Jehovah was not just an ordinary angel. There was something different, something special about that designation. It also seems to suggest, to suggest it was one member of the Godhead. It's a suggestion now. But 
the arguments that go along with that, let me see if I can get to the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. If it's a Godhead, one of the Godhead, we've got to kind of look at that and see what it is. The arguments that supported it, that it's a member of the Godhead, was it wasn't the Father, because we know the Father sent him, sent this angel of Jehovah. That leaves the Son or the Spirit. And the conclusion of that, to me, is a pre-incarnate manifestation of God the Son. This is what uh, Mike said last week. This is a, a spiritual Jesus that's yet to be made mankind, made, made flesh. He hasn't been done that yet. But yet, these things, these characteristics go with him. Jesus was the messenger to bring the most important word from God. Everything but his whole life was the message from God on how we're to live, how we're supposed to conduct ourselves, what we're supposed to do. So was Jesus an angel? He was never the conventional angel, I don't believe, like we think of angels. But I think he was a special messenger that was sent. Hebrews 1, 3 through 6. I quoted a little bit of it a while ago about God says, to which angel has he ever said, this is my begotten son, you are my begotten son. The angel of the Lord is still assigned a message deliverer all the way through. That's what he did. He was, when he showed up, he was to deliver a particular message or leadership. Jesus' birth through Mary made him what we call incarnate, taking on the flesh, becoming a person, no longer the spirit that we knew, but now flesh that we knew. Mankind, just like you and me. That's a big change from what his role was before, if that's the case. To come to the flesh, God made Jesus a little lower. This was brought up a minute ago than the angels. He had to make him a little lower than the angels because the angels are above us at this particular point in in our timeline, if you would. So he's come in the flesh and he made him a little lower than the angels, just like us. We were made a little lower than the angels. That was God's intent. But after the next coming, when Jesus comes to gather up his, his redeemed, we then will be in the position to judge angels. How that goes, I really can't even imagine. But I can't imagine human angels, can you? I mean, we see them in the, in the Old Testament. How close am I getting? Ooh, get close. Uh, God used humans, like Moses, to carry his message to the people. So by the term, if we classify angels as messengers, Moses was an angel. He even used animals. Balaam's donkey, you could say that was an angel. Talked to Balaam, told him, what you know, I'm going to save your life. You better listen up. We could be considered, we, you and me, could be considered angels, messengers, when we bring God's word to the lost. I remember, I may have already said this, I, I know I've told people a lot of times that uh, when when I had my back so tore up that I couldn't do anything but lay on my face in the floor in the living room, uh, 
And Becky can tell you, she, she stayed there and slept next to me at night just so I wouldn't be alone. And I was hurting so bad, I remember asking God to cure me or kill me. I didn't, I didn't care which. I was willing for him to strike me dead at that time. The very next day, two ladies from this congregation came to my house to check on me because I, they knew I was, was hurt, I was sick. And they came to visit. One of them happened to be a practical nurse. And she asked me about my medications, and I told her I was taking pain pills like they were candy every four hours, and they last about an hour, and that was it. And she said, well, change your medication a little bit. Go ahead and take your pain pills, but every two hours instead of every four hours, take on the second hour, take a Tylenol. On the fourth hour, take a Motrin. And I did that and got out of the floor. And I've often considered those ladies as my angel. They answered a prayer for me. They didn't have any idea they were doing that. I didn't either until it was over. But it worked. So I really believe that we can be sometimes messengers of God, angels, if you would, delivering to people what they need. So we could be angels in an answer to someone's unknown prayer. I think I'm getting pretty close. Oh, no, I'm not either. The death angel. Maybe we'll have to continue that next week. So we'll just pick up there next week with the death angel. And we'll also probably take a look at demons next week. Thanks for your attention, for your input and, and questions and answers and all that. I appreciate it a bunch. Have a good week. God bless. <laughs> I did.